Yo! Welcome in to the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. I'm the L of the House of L podcast, and I'm so happy that you have made time today. Another midweek episode we are doing, and I'm liking these so far. If you haven't gone and checked out the last episode, episode 127, with Kat Garcia, it's really good and a lot of fun. This episode is a little bit more serious, a little bit more on the nose for a guy that used to cover football, me, that used to do that every day. I but I wanted to do some of this stuff. I actually it's weird. You know what? You know what's really strange? I had no idea they were still doing hard knocks for this particular season. I it just didn't make sense. I checked my DVR today and I have episode one of hard knocks on there. I was like, wait, what? That's a thing. That's a thing that we're doing. So I guess we need to start talking football kind of right. NFL football. Cause I don't, I don't think we need to talk about college football, but we need to talk about NFL football, which means us talking about the bears. So I said, all right, let me reach out to one of the things I want to do with some of these midweek episodes is I want to start branching out and occasionally talking about sports in different ways than than what I would do on the show. Maybe some different voices than what you would hear on the show. Some people that I can introduce you to. Brian Perez is someone that I met while working over NBC Sports Chicago. I think he's a really talented writer. He cares a lot about the college aspect of it, the the draft portion of it. He's one of those guys. Like He's a guy that digs deep in the weeds, talks to prospects, talks to coaches, talks to front office people about it. But I also think that even from a professional standpoint, he's great at breaking some of the stuff down. He doesn't just look at it from a draft perspective. So I figured I would get him on the phone. And we would play catch up. What we would do is we would catch up and catch you up on what the Bears look like from a roster standpoint. And yes, we do spend some time talking about the quarterback situation. That is significant. And we wanted to make sure that we did that. By the way, we are brought to you by Mazda of Orland Park. You should go buy a car from them. ZoomZoomNation.com. If you're in the market for buying a car. But when you do, when you walk in the door or you call them at 708-444-3200 and they say, hey, how did you hear about us? Be like, I heard about you on the House of L podcast. That would be great. The other sponsor of our podcast is David Hochberg. 855-56-DAVID is the number where you can call him, where if you're planning to buy a home or you're trying to refinance a home, David is the guy. That's the guy that I use. You should use him too because he makes it easy. It's very turnkey with David. And I'm I'm happy that he helped me out with my place in Kenwood and he helped me out with my place in Hyde Park. So please support the people that support this podcast. That would be great. 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 112461. So I thought that we'd do a reboot. Since they're rebooting the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, I thought that Brian and I would kind of reset things for you. 
from a Bears perspective. Because believe it or not, they're actually in training camp. Right? Yeah, it's weird. It's not in Bourbon A anymore. I don't know how they're going to do practices, but they seem to think they have an idea. But this is just two guys talking a little bit about ball. And on the back end of the episode, you'll hear Brian's thoughts on what happened with college football over the last 48 hours and what that effect is on the NFL. It's all good. This is us talking about the Bears. You wrote a piece for NBCSportsChicago.com about four things that you think are positive about about the Bears overall. But I, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on the offseason. And let's start with the draft. How did you feel like the Bears did, considering they did not have a first-round pick? I think they did all right. You know, I think I think the fact that we're still in the Khalil Mack, you know, pay the debt on Khalil Mack phase still makes you feel good, right? I mean, that was a great way to use a first-round pick because Ryan Pace's track record with first-rounders has not been great. Um, you know, when you go back to Kevin White, you could say injuries were the reason. Leonard Floyd, he was just a bust. Um, Mitch Trubisky, we'll see. Uh, Roquan Smith, I think, is going to be a very good player, maybe not an elite player, but a very good player. But, you know, you're talking about four years of first-rounders and maybe one guy is a guy. So if you can get rid of those first-rounders and you have a Khalil Mack in return, I think you still have to factor that into the draft class. I get worried anytime Ryan Pace makes a move at tight end because Ryan Pace, in my opinion, is not very strong in terms of evaluating tight ends. Deion Sims, Adam Shaheen, Trey Burton. I mean, that's a who's who of busts that have been whiffs. So Cole Komet, I like him. Is Cole Komet a guy who I think can be a game changer, like a George Kittle or something like that, which is really what you want from a tight end in today's game? I don't think so. I think the ceiling is Kyle Rudolph, which is pretty darn good. But is that an elite player? No. Um, Signing Jimmy Graham is – I don't know, man. I, I can go on for another hour talking about how I get it. But, well, I mean, own. I mean, I think that's where Ryan Pace goes back to his days, you know, as a New Orleans State. And, you know, with Jimmy Graham being there in Ryan Pace's formative years, you kind of, you know, it's like that first crush you can't let go. And Jimmy Graham is, is that guy. Um, but I like the Jalen Johnson pick in the second round. I think he's a really good player. I think he was a guy who had first round value. Shoulder injuries dropped him into the second round. Um, then after that, honestly, it's just swings at, at pitches. You know, now Darnell Mooney, I think the, the odds are stacked against any receiver who's under 175 pounds. I know everybody loves speed, but, you know, you have to have more than just 4.38 speed. A lot of guys in the league can run a 4.38 but wash out in two years because they can't physically hold up. So Mooney, you know, he's got to prove he can be the exception to the rule. Gibson, good pass rushing prospect and the lineman late in the draft. You know, hopefully one of them sticks around practice squad. But it's going to come down to the second round guys, Komet and Johnson, to see what they end up being. Now let's talk about free agency. Where do you think the Bears helped themselves and where could they have done more? I mean, we'll start at quarterback because that's kind of where it always, the conversation always starts with the Bears, right? Um, Nick Foles was a very boring acquisition but I don't think boring is necessarily bad for this team right now. I think the bears have the kind of roster that reminds me of the Ravens from the past when they were able to make Super Bowl runs with a Trent Dilfer and a Joe Flacco quarterbacks who nobody would, would confuse them for pro bowlers, but they were good enough to complement a really good defense, almost a basically historic defense with the first Ravens Super Bowl team. Um, and I think the bears have the potential to be that 
potentially that good on defense. I mean, the Robert Quinn signing is not getting enough credit. I mean, I know everybody wants to bust chops and say that Ryan Pace overspent on Quinn, but you cannot overspend on pass rushers. It's just impossible. And he had 11 and a half, 11 and a half sacks last year, and now he's playing with the best complement of his – not even complement. He's the complement. With Khalil Mack on the other side, that's scary. And you had Akeem Hicks coming back healthy. Adding Rob, going from Leonard Floyd to Robert Quinn is just a monumental step forward for the defense. Healthy Danny Trevathan, hopefully a mentally right Roquan Smith. Um, you know, this defense has a chance, even though Eddie Goldman is opting out. So Nick Foles, he's boring, right? He's not going to be a guy who is going to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns, but he's proven himself in the biggest moments in this league. And if the Bears really want to make a Super Bowl run, what they need at quarterback is a player they can trust and rely on to just get the job done. Trubisky is too inconsistent at this point in his career. So if Trubisky fails to take that next step, the boring option of Nick Foles will end up being a good acquisition. Will it be good enough? Is a healthy Cam Newton a more exciting potential guy that you could ride to a Super Bowl? Of course. And we see that the Patriots didn't have to give up much for him, so hindsight's 2020. But adding Nick Foles at the time that they did was okay. Uh, like I said, Robert Quinn, to me, great signing. Uh, and Jimmy Graham's the complete opposite. I, I don't know what Ryan Pace is thinking. It just goes, it just reinforces my theory that Ryan Pace just should stay away from tight ends. Anytime Ryan Pace opens the checkbook and wants to sign any, you know, any of these tight ends, wants to give any tight end money, the ownership should rip that checkbook out of his hand, man, because I just don't understand what he sees in Jimmy Graham. Uh, the Bears aren't going to suddenly lead him to the fountain of youth. He had Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson the last couple of years, and he's he wasn't even just a guy. He was less than just a guy. So expecting him to give the Bears something more than they've had at tight end, it's really going to come down to Cole Komet. And Jermaine Effetti, I actually like him at right guard. I think he's going to be an upgrade over Coward. But again, a lot of these signings or moves by pace, whether it's draft or free agency, have been like, corrections for his past mistakes and I think that's what Bears fans have to kind of focus on here is that you don't need Nick Foles if you got the draft pick right with Mitch Trubisky you don't need Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham if you got it right with Adam Shaheen or Trey Burton or Deion Sims uh, you don't need Robert Quinn if you got it right with Leonard Floyd so all the moves this year which Bears fans want to get excited about they should get excited about these are good players on paper but they're also second moves at the same position because Ryan Pace screwed it up the first time around. That's why teams don't move forward, don't make deep playoff runs. If you don't get it right the first time, GMs rarely get second and third opportunities to get it right like Pace's time. Is there any chance that you can see, you brought up Mitch taking that next step. Is there any chance that you could see him taking that next step? So I have to be careful how I answer this. If I don't want my Twitter feed to blow up, and me, or I should say implode and burn to the ground, I should probably say, yes, I see him taking that next step. But if I want to be honest with you, Lawrence, I don't see it, man. I mean, coming from the draft analyst perspective, like the scouting perspective, how much tape do we need to see from a guy before we can say he just doesn't have it? I mean, we're going into his fourth season. He started 12 games or, or, or so his rookie year, and he started a bunch of games the last two years. He's got a lot of NFL throws on tape. I mean, they didn't give him – they didn't pick up his fifth-year option for a reason. If they saw enough tape, too, they didn't trade for Nick Foles. They didn't give up a fourth-round pick 
or Nick Foles because they believe Mitch Trubisky can turn the corner. You don't do those things. And fans who want to believe he can turn the corner, I love them. It's the diehard Bears fan. Bears fans treat the team like family treats family. Only we can criticize <laughs> the players, right? Anybody else tries to criticize them, you're going to have a problem. You go on Bears Twitter, you'll see what I mean. So when it comes to Trubisky, I think Bears fans should have an open and honest dialogue amongst each other about, you know, let's be honest here. I mean, the guy's going into year four. What, what players in their fourth or fifth years in the league at quarterback suddenly become franchise quarterbacks? It's very rare. Maybe people can list a few exceptions, but Mitch Trubisky just doesn't have the fundamental traits like accuracy, consistent thrower of the football, mo the most basic requirement to be a franchise quarterback is hit the target consistently. He can't do it. I mean, I was at the Eagles game this year, and I was watching him in warm-ups, Lawrence, and he was overthrowing the ball boy. I mean, it was bad, right? So I was saying to myself, you know, I just don't know, you know, if this guy keeps ever going to be able to do it. And every summer, we get the Trubisky hope, right? He looks great this year, physical condition. Last year, remember, he wasn't the student. He was the teacher of the offense. 202. He wasn't it was 202. He was teaching the guys the language in the locker room. But when it came, when the bullets started flying for real, it looked like Mitch Trubisky was the only guy who didn't know what he was doing, right? So I don't know. Uh, I, I like the fact that the quarterback competition is going to be um, fair and balanced, and they're going to grade every throw in practice. What did John DeFilippo say? Accuracy. And I think it's breadcrumbs coming from the coaching staff, and Bears fans have to pay attention to this. He's essentially telling you why Mitch Trubisky is going to lose the job. Because if they are if they are focusing on accuracy, and he said, not just the completions, but the accuracy of the football, the accuracy of the throws. And if you want to if you want to look at Mitch Trubisky's tape from last year, the worst part of his game was accuracy. So those are little breadcrumbs. Bears fans have to pay attention to. You know, if that's going to be a key variable in who wins the competition, and if you're a betting man, bet heavy on Foles. Is there anything that you think that we're going to be able to find out in a training camp like the one that we're going to have, considering there's not going to be any games, they're probably going to have to ramp up doing inter-squad scrimmages to, to figure some of this stuff out, but is there anything there that you want to know that you think that we'll find out before they actually play a game? See, I don't think we will. And this is another reason why I think the odds are stacked against Trubisky winning the job outright. Because this year, they're, especially in a quarterback competition, the coaches have to go and review tape from last season, too, or tape from the last three seasons, 17, 18, 19. And if you're doing that, you know, Nick Foles has a miraculous run in 17 where he won the Super Bowl. In 2018, he came into Chicago and beat the Bears in a playoff game and looked again like an MVP. Last year, he obviously had uh, issues with an injury and lost the job to Minshew. But if you have, if you look at Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles over the last couple of years of tape, Nick Foles is going to be much more impressive. And on a practice field, even if they're even, right, knowing what they've both done on the actual field when it counts for real, I don't know how they can go to Trubisky and not Foles. The acquisition of Foles was a smart one, maybe unintentionally. I mean, they didn't trade for him knowing there was going to be no preseason games. But the fact that they have a guy who's familiar with the coaching staff, who's familiar with the offense. Look, if Nick Foles needed a preseason game to win the starting job, then the Bears acquired the wrong quarterback. I mean, if you got a guy who you think needs to prove to you in one quarter of a summer scrimmage 
that he should be your starter, you got the wrong guy. They're going to watch how they play in practice. They're going to watch the command of the huddle. They're going to look at the accuracy of the throws, and they're going to probably do a lot of comparing based on tape over the last couple of years. And I don't see how it goes anywhere but falls unless Trubisky suddenly has some miraculous, you know, evolution over the next six weeks, which isn't going to happen. But if it does, great. As far as the other positions, you know, one of the good things about the Bears is there's not a lot of turnover on the roster in terms of key positions. You know, the offensive line for the five guys are back at wide receiver, Anthony Miller, um, Allen Robinson. They were around all year last year. Dave Montgomery, Tariq Cohen are the primary backs. You know, you have some new faces at tight end. You have a couple of new pieces on defense. But all overall, I mean, this is kind of the same team. And it's kind of the same team that was around in 2018. So I don't think a lack of preseason games is going to hinder this team from being able to click early in the year. But the other part of this, Lawrence, is everybody's dealing with the same set of facts. So the first couple of weeks of this season might be a little rough, but it's going to be rough for everyone because they're going to be working out the the wrinkles of their offense and these new players adapting to new systems. September is probably going to be a very ugly month for football. The news comes out that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are out on college football. Like, what was your reaction to that? Honestly, Lawrence, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I, I know there is a, a lot of draft fans, college football fans, just football fans in general on Twitter who were kind of hoping against hope, for lack of a better term, that the college football season would go off uninterrupted. But, I mean, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. COVID-19 has changed life as we know it from every single angle. And to think that the college football season would be immune to it was was honestly kind of swimming upstream to begin with. The NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, it's just a whole different animal. I mean, you're talking about professionals who have agents, who are parts of, who are in unions, who can have their interests protected and negotiated for and things like that. But, you know, if these kids are really student athletes, if they're truly amateurs, as we've been led to believe for decades and decades and decades, you know, their health and safety had to be the most important factor here. And the fact that these big conferences are all shutting down for the, for the fall. I mean, I'm shocked that people are shocked to be quite honest with you. Me too. I, I, I was trying to do the math on this months ago saying, well, how, how can we make this work? And I always thought that, that the biggest level of difficulty out there for sports to return was college football, uh, mainly because some of the reasons that you said that there's a, there is no one to lobby for the safety of the students except for them. And now we're seeing a growth and a movement of those athletes to try and, and, and speak up for themselves. I have, I have this question for you and I know that it may come off a little bit cynical, but there's part of me that wonders what the hell college football was doing for the last four months, because some of the stuff that I hear that the players want Seems like it should have been addressed fairly early on in the process. You know, the, the problem with this whole issue in dealing with life with COVID is that it literally is day by day. You know, the, the facts can change in a moment's notice, which could totally disrupt the best laid plan. So I understand there's questions relate, regarding the leadership in the conferences, questions regarding the leadership in individual institutions. But I mean, just look around. I mean, I have two kids of school age and we're just finding out now, three weeks before school is supposed to start, what the back to school process is going to look like. And it's kind of crazy, the outline that they put together. So it's like 
on every level of life right now, you really don't know, you know, the people who are in charge are, have never dealt with this before. You know, you have superintendents of local schools, you have athletic directors in colleges who are totally ill-equipped and unqualified to make decisions that are essentially meant to protect kids' health and safety outside of sports. It has nothing to do with sports. This has to do with a global pandemic and the people who are charged with making the decisions that's in their best interest for these athletes are not qualified to be doing that. So to again, to be surprised that these conferences are basically look like it's like the wild, wild west, a circus where all these clowns are juggling and trying to figure something out. It's, it's what should have been expected. The easiest thing to do, Lawrence, would have been to say, look, this is something nobody who is alive today has ever experienced and hopefully will ever experience again. We all just have to kind of understand we're shutting it down to protect everybody's health and safety. That decision could have been made a month or two months ago. That would have had a lot of backlash because your diehard college fans, your diehard football fans would have said, oh, it's too early. They're pulling the trigger too early. Now they're making the decision a few weeks out of, you know, away from kickoff. Why'd they wait so long? There's no way that they could have gotten it right. In my opinion, you have a lot of 18 to 22-year-old kids who we could say today, Lawrence, in my opinion, are safer than they would have been had they played the game. And I know there's a lot of these talking points where if they're on campus and they're in the structure of the football program and the coaching staff is controlling kind of where these kids go and what they do because of how structured the college football player's day is, that somehow that protects them from getting the virus. Again, to me, that's all nonsense. It's just ridiculous. It's just, um, you know, talking points to fit a narrative that's pro football season uh, in, in favor, I should say, so there's no confusion, in favor of football season. The bottom line is, as long as these decisions are made to keep these kids healthy and safe, you gotta, you gotta applaud them, support them, and hope for the best, and that we all get a vaccine and we're out of this reality come the springtime. So let's talk practicality on this. Like You spend a lot of time covering the NFL draft. Do you think that it's possible that we could have a representative college football season in the spring? No chance. Why not? No chance. Well, because first of all, you see top prospects in bowl games sit out. They don't play. Top prospects in all-star games, the senior bowl, they don't play. Top prospects at the NFL combine, they don't participate. Why? Risk of injury, risk of hurting themselves. If you're going to tell me that a guy like Trevor Lawrence is suddenly going to be motivated to play a football season in April, May, and June, but the same Trevor Lawrence might not have run at a combine in February or participate. He's not eligible for the senior bowl, but let's just say he's a senior would not participate at the senior bowl because of fear of injury, or he wants to improve his draft stock. Those guys, the mentality doesn't change. And the guys that are the top players are going to be the top players, whether there's a 2020 college season or not with your exceptions, there are the Joe Burrows of the world who come out of nowhere. And that's the biggest, you know, I maybe harm that will come from this season is that there could be a Joe Burrow under the radar right now that we won't have that chance to see him become that guy without a season. But those are the exceptions to the rule. You know, you can't, you can't fight for a season for the exception to the rule, but I don't think you're going to see a spring season because the top players aren't going to play, which is then going to make the season essentially an asterisk laden season. I mean, who's going to want to 
risk injury? Who's going to feel proud of a, a college football championship if guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Greg Rousseau and Michael Parsons, none of them are playing in the season. It's going to feel like one long, quote unquote, preseason feeling. Um, and then you have the flip side of that. If you forget about the guys who are turning pro, even the freshmen and redshirt sophomores who maybe are coming, you know, are going to be playing again in 2021's college season, to ask them to have basically two seasons in six or seven months, the wear and tear on their bodies and the long-term harm that that could cause to their prospects as a pro, their potential to become a pro, the higher risk of injury, hamstrings, Achilles, ACLs, shoulders. I mean, these guys, football season, it's a seasonal sport for a reason. Bodies need time to recover. You're not going to be able to go spring and then right away into the fall again just a few months later. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I think all that's doing, Lawrence, is it's throwing red meat to the dogs right now to keep them happy <laughs> and full. Say, oh, don't worry, we'll see it in the spring. It's just the proverbial kicking the can down the road and deal with it later. Well, well let me ask you then about what about some of the smaller conferences where a player is on the bubble, where it's a player that probably has a chance to get drafted in the sixth or seventh round, like an Ivy League guy or, or a Mac guy. Is there any benefit to them perhaps having the spotlight to themselves? Like, let's say that the Ivy says, all right, everything is in a better place right now. We're going to have our season. And the Mac says, we're going to go out and we're going to play some of these games against uh, the Mountain West or whomever. Is, is there a chance there for some of the smaller schools to generate revenue for themselves and create a window into getting their players to the pros? I mean, it definitely is. I, I mean, look, every college player, you know, the, the old adage is for a lot of these guys, going to college and playing college football is one big business trip. It's, it's, it, the goal is to get to the NFL. And if you have a chance to market yourself in a way that's unique because of this pandemic, a kid that isn't a smaller school or Ivy League could say, hey, look, I got the Saturday spotlight on me because the SEC isn't playing. The bigger Pac-12 isn't playing. Suddenly the only game in town is an Ivy League game and ESPN is showcasing it. And, you know, I wasn't under the radar, talked about street free agent type guy before. I have a big game on ESPN. Maybe I'll get invited to the Senior Bowl or the Combine. I mean, these are the other things, Lawrence. I mean, we're talking about a spring league, right? The spring league in the calendar technically would be after the Combine and the Senior Bowl in the traditional year. So what does this all mean? I mean, does the you can't have a draft later than June which means if you have a spring league, when does that end? Is there enough time to have a combine and senior bowl after that? The whole That's why it's just impossible. It's impossible to keep with the – look, if we say it's impossible to keep with the traditional calendar, I mean, that's thrown out the window with COVID anyway. There is no traditional anything right now. So if there is a spring league, I think it would have to be a very truncated season, like a six-week season. Otherwise, it just doesn't, it just doesn't fit. There's no way – it's a square peg, round hole philosophy right now for these guys. Do you think that the, the NFL – there's any chance the NFL might be flexible. And here's why I asked the question. Initially, my feeling on this is like, no, I mean, the NFL, like they're going to do what they're going to do. And they've kind of done that up to a point. And then it was, well, you know what? We're going to cancel the Hall of Fame game. And everyone's like, oh, everyone hates the Hall of Fame game. So no big deal there. And then they scrapped the entire preseason. So before I was thinking that they weren't flexible at all on some of this stuff. And granted, it has to be collectively bargained that this stuff has to move. Like, I'm not ignoring that. But I wonder if they're more flexible now than maybe they ever would have been on some of these issues. 
You know, it depends because there, when you talk about moving the draft around or moving free agency around, you're also dealing with a group of players who view those kinds of calendar changes as a threat to their livelihood. Veteran players, veterans, you know, look, yeah, in the locker room, team camaraderie, all that stuff is great, but every guy wants to put food on their table. And if they think that the NFL moving the draft back will help their team eventually find their replacement, you're going to have a lot of pushback from some of the veterans who might be in the back half of their career. And that's why some of these issues that seem like they're logical, hey, look, move the draft back to late June, give these kids a chance to showcase themselves at a combine-like setting in a senior bowl type setting. It makes sense to guys like you and me. But that, that 52nd or 53rd guy, that veteran that's been around the league for eight or nine years, he's not going to be totally up to making it easier for the next crop of kids to come into the league because that's the crop of guys who are coming after his job. So things like that make sense. But when you get down to the brass tacks of it, you're going to have pushback from the players union at some point because the next draft class, even though it's the next – group of talent and maybe it's that group of guys that puts that team over the top and maybe gets you to a Super Bowl. It's also one step closer to the veterans being out of the league. So they're not going to be the most accepting, in my opinion, of changing things all that much because look, they were also impacted in free agency. Mm -hmm. A guy like Cam Newton had to wait around a long time to get a bargain basement contract, former league MVP. You think he's going to care? If some 21-year-old kid isn't getting draft, doesn't have the same kind of draft process he should have had because of COVID, Cam Newton didn't get to go to teams and work out and show he's healthy and get that multi-year mega deal that he might have gotten if there wasn't COVID. So you're going to have a lot of pushback from veterans, in my opinion. You do a lot of great work when it comes to covering everything that leads up to the NFL draft. What's your favorite part of that? Is it talking to people? Is it watching tape? Is it, you know, finding that diamond in the rough prospect? Like, what do you, what do you dig on when it comes to this part type of stuff? Yeah, it's definitely the tape, man. It's definitely watching the film and just having that moment where you kind of like, you know, you get that feeling on the back of your neck where you say, this is a dude, this is a guy. And it might be a guy that nobody really is talking about on draft Twitter. That's one of the best places to have NFL draft conversations. Twitter, it's, you know, maybe the golden era of draft Twitter is behind us, but it's still a great place to go to talk draft. Um, but you start getting this, you know, feeling for the draft class, the general draft narrative. And then you might find that guy who jumps off, off the tape. Like, for example, this year's draft, I love Antonio Gibson, the running back slash wide receiver slash dude all guy that the Redskins drafted in the third round. And now you see the unfortunate, you know, issues that happen with Darius Geis and he's out of the league. Uh, I might have the Washington football team, let me correct myself that the Antonio, you know, drafted Gibson in the third round. And to me, that guy is like, he's going to be a dude. Like he's going to be a stud in the league. And now when you see Darius Geis is out of the league, that's one less roadblock for him getting into the lineup. The funnest part, Lawrence, is when you see a, a guy in February or March, and then you come all the way around in October and maybe he gets that chance. And everything you thought you saw in February and March on college tape, late on a Wednesday night, it's one o'clock in the morning and you're watching that fifth game and you're just out of your mind, you know, putting yourself through this process. And then they rip off that 120 yard game in the league. It just validates, you know, all that effort and time you put into it. So, you know, the whole process is great. I've been to the senior bowl. I've been to the combine and, you know, seeing a guy, seeing guys, I got a chance down at the uh, senior bowl this year to talk to some of the tight end prospects. Cause you know, the bears were in the tight end market and just being able to look these guys in the eyes and get a vibe, get a feeling for, 
this is a guy I think is going to make it because he just carries himself in that way. Or the opposite's also true. Like, oh God, this guy is not the dude I thought he was, you know? Uh, so the psychology behind it is awesome as well. A big, big thanks to Brian for being available to talk with me. And if you want to follow him, he's a great follow on Twitter at Brian B R Y A N Perez P E R E Z N F L at Brian Perez NFL is where you can follow him. So I thank him for coming on. And I, it's so funny. None of us, no one associated with covering the bears wants to talk about Jimmy Graham. I think I, I have a theory on this and my theory is, is that we all have so much respect for Jimmy Graham's career up until about three years ago that we don't just want to besmirch the man. I mean, that the guy was part of that evolution of tight ends in the NFL. But I think Brian is so spot on when he's talking about the fixation that Ryan Pace has with players that were in New Orleans when he was in New Orleans, whether it's Chase Daniel or Jimmy Graham. I think it's fair to wonder. I'm sure that that if you brought this up to Ryan Pace, he would he'd be so mad. But it's fair to wonder if that's what's actually going on here. I don't know what to think of the entire NFL season. I I just don't. I I don't know what to think of who's good and who's not and who's going to be ready and if they're even there's part of me that feels like the NFL is going to power through starting things off. I'm not convinced that they are going to finish this season. I would bet money that they aren't going to finish the season on time with a Super Bowl. Is it February 7th in Tampa? I would bet money against that if I were betting. I'm not even sure they make it through week four. And the hope is that everyone understands how serious it is, but you just know on the Bears team alone, I'm not naming any names, but we all saw the stuff on Twitter. There are already people. They're out on boats and whatnot doing things. You mean to tell me that, that there's going to be enough discipline that everyone, all 2,000 of these guys are going to be on board? I hope to God it's true. I hope that the faith that the coaches have in these guys is is worth they're worth it. But human nature tells me that there's gonna be some people that are not gonna be on top of this thing. And that's not good. So I'm not sure what to think of any of this. I'm not sure what to think about the entire exercise that we are about to go over i'm excited now to actually go watch hard knocks because maybe it'll give me a better understanding of how this is going to work but i have serious serious doubts you know who i don't have any doubts about though david hockberg why because he helped give me my place here in hyde park he helped refinance my place in kenwood because it's underwater not literally but figuratively I don't know if I'll ever recoup that back, but he helped me refinance it so it was easier for me to rent. And I thank him for that. You should hit him up. 855-56-DAVID. If you're looking to buy a home or refinance a home, that would be the way to do it. 56david.com. If you're someone that would rather uh, let your fingers do the walking onto the internet. And here's what you need to know. Homeside Financial, it's an equal housing lender. NMLS number 1124061. 
These pods are also brought to you by Mazda of Orland Park. I'm so happy that they jumped on board. ZoomZoomNation.com. I'm trying to keep the pod as local as possible. Granted, I do want to expand, so there might have to be some national brands that come in here, but I, I like dealing with the people that I've actually dealt with before, like the folks at Mazda of Orland Park and David Hochberg. So that'll wrap up this episode. How you liking these midweeks? Hit me up. House of L podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to give a thought on future guests, I already got Saturday's episode ready to go. I already know who the guest is. We've already finished the interview, but I got some other great ones that are coming up soon. And I thank you for your support of these midweek episodes, these shorties. Hope you got something out of it. Thank you so much for your support. We went over 500,000 unique downloads this week. I can't believe it. Two years in and we did that. So now we're going for a million. Do I get like a golden microphone or platinum microphone if I get to a million? That would be dope. Maybe I'll buy one for myself and wear it around my neck. I'll be the flyest podcaster ever. Take that, Joe Budden. See you next time. Peace.